Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Petko Stoyanov and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with my co-host, Petko Stoyanov. Petko. Hey. Hey, Rachel. We're going to talk about something that's targeted today, yes. right? Something that we all hear about every single day, that we hear about all these attacks, but we never say the why or we make it you know, more broad. So I think we're going to talk about web security, application security. What do you think? I think let's dig into it because this is a hot topic, my friends. Like We could spend days on this, but let's, let's go ahead and jump in into it with our guests this week. Patrick Vandenberg, he's Director of Product Marketing at Invicti Security. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Rachel and Petco. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. So do you want to kick off, Petco? I mean, it's it's probably more dear, near and dear to your heart. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's I guess it's near and dear because like every single day we'll hear about someone exposed some data or, or something came out of some application somewhere, but... Then we like, you know, we blame the company, but we never say why and everything else. But I think Patrick, can you talk to us about like I think I heard a statistic somewhere like 70% of the security incidents are related just to web attacks. Yeah, that's a great spot to start. And maybe it's a good starting point because you know, all of these attacks are an attack chain. So they have to there needs to be step one, uh, break in or access point. And, and I think you're referring to the Verizon um, data, invest, uh, data breach investigations report. I think is that 70% stat where 70% um, of the incidents had the web application as that, that uh, incident or attack vector. That's a huge, huge amount. And, you know, I think there's... The IT uh, landscape is so complex to, to try to defend the whole thing and certainly phishing, uh, malware, everybody's thinking about that and not, not clicking on that bad link and being very conscious companies doing their security training. That's absolutely a prominent uh, first step um, attack vector. But, but I think that might catch a lot of people off guard if they haven't seen that stat, right? Seven out of 10 incidents start from a web application. Um, being, being attacked. And, you know, what's behind that is the sheer volume of applications that are being deployed. Um, and we can go even into the pandemic where there was an accelerated pace of applications being deployed to support a lot more remote activity from even just supply chains, right, that might not have been thinking to, to the degree to which they are now using applications, um, but suddenly needed to remote workforces. And what are the sorts of things that can make that work? Well, uh, we've known for a long time that the typical behaviors are get me that functionality first, right. support the business, yeah. and everything else is going to have to play catch up. And, you know, what's the outcome? Well, we have a 70% outcome there that Verizon shows us. So, uh, you know, all that to say, there's so much activity on endpoint, right? Or EDR, XDR, and real real threat activity and day-to-day um, response. And, and everybody hears about the breach activity. So 
the, the immediate security operations responses get a lot of um, airtime, attention, and certainly necessary budget. I'm not taking away from any of that. I've, I've had multiple uh, roles in those areas. But I think this does reset the importance of application security that um, has a bit of a different mindset to, to things. You, you can't just um, you know, update a policy to, to fix, fix a, a misconfiguration on an application. You need to coordinate with the development team here to get this done. And this is, you know, we'll explore this over the next um, 20, 30 minutes here, yeah. but it's, it's, um, it, it takes a, a lot of intention and um, investment to, to take care of this in the right way. Yeah. And I think most organizations, you know, they think of themselves as, hey, I bought an app, I bought a SaaS service or something else. They, it's someone else's problems, but we're finding out that more and more are bringing developers in-house and creating custom apps on top of that that could could be exposed. Um, the report I was thinking of uh, is actually an IBM report that came out that talked about some of these breaches, and they're the ones that said 7 out of 10. So that's everything that IBM is seeing. So it's not just Verizon, but also IBM's view of the managed services. But it's interesting to me is they say it's connected to a web app. So just because you, you might have been attacked by ransomware, that might have started with a credential that was harvested from a web app. Or they might have... St- right scanned your web app and figured out your infrastructure and then went after you. So that 70% statistic is not that it's, you know, it's fully 100% the web app, but that's where they start, you know? So Absolutely. I'd love to, uh, Patrick, I'd love to get your take on, you know, you know, as for the audience, the audience is, you typically hear is, hey, we need an endpoint, it's the human's fault, or it's don't click on that link, yet we forget about the app that could be 70% of the problem. What are the most common vulnerabilities for app- applications that you've seen that you're aware of that's happened over the last couple of years? So in application security, we, we trust a common source, the OWASP top yes, 10. Yes, yes. Uh, to, to tell us which ones, right? And in conjunction with an, uh, the National Vulnerability Database as well that has all the instances of each each of these vulnerability types. So um, the, the OWASP top 10, the latest project for this list, it's a 2021 version. They tend to update it every three or four years or so. Um, and broken access control is the number one as of a couple of years ago, uh, number one vulnerability. Uh, but injection vulnerabilities, I think it's dropped to number three this year, but, or sorry, the most recent one in 2021. Um, that's, that's a blend of SQL injection and cross-site scripting. You know, and we'll get to this maybe a little later, but in our report, we saw some, some trending activity for those, those vulnerabilities. Um, that's interesting. Um, a few more to cite that from there, um, security misconfigurations, um, cryptographic issues uh, or, or failures, I think they call it, um, all the way down to server-side request forgery. So that's that's the trusted source that, that we go to for, for the vulnerabilities to keep an eye out. Um, but, but one thing, and, and I'll definitely touch on this in a bit, uh, remote code execution vulnerabilities. Uh, definitely, definitely have had uh, a bit of an upswing in the past few years as well. That's worth noting that we saw in our data. Are there any specific uh, breaches that come to mind when you start thinking of some of those web app security vulnerabilities, Patrick? Any specific incidents that are top of mind? Yeah, it, it would definitely um, go to the um, the log for shell uh, vulnerability breach that we saw a few years ago. That's the source source uh, vulnerability. And that's that's remote 
code execution volume. Um, that was that was massive, and, and what we saw from that is behavior change actually in the industry. Uh, so we saw a, you know a ripple effect, in both from the attack attacking side to find more similar vulnerability types. Um, and I think what was the um, spring for shell is uh, another example coming from that. Um, but then we also saw an increase in in scanning patterns as a result. Um, so it, it's it's very much a cat and mouse game. You definitely definitely see see that dynamic. We also saw some mandates catch up to for requirements from uh, NIST and, and ISO uh, to require DAS scanning. So it's not just optional, and it's not just an annual compliance audit recommending um, increased cadence on the testing because of just the fast pace of of updates, dynamic apps that that we're seeing, um, that uh, you can't just scan once, deploy, and, and forget these applications anymore. Um, and we're seeing some we're seeing some concerns, and we're seeing some improvements as as we might expect uh, from from these results. Rachel, any one of those that sparks your interest? Or I'd love to, I mean, I don't know where to start. I feel like all of them were major that I had to deal with personally, I remember. I mean, can we, can we go to the beginning of these things? I mean, where does, where does it kind of go off the rails, I guess? Um, Because Log4J was like a big deal. I mean, people were freaked out. Uh, You know, it just, and how does it get to that scale and to be so massive before we're kind of like, oh, hey, check this out. I mean, is it possible to go back to the beginning of something like that and figure how it, how it became so big and and why we didn't maybe catch it sooner? Yeah, I, I think the law. I'm just using Log4J as an example, um, and I think Patrick, you and I talked about this previously. Is like I always, you know, being in security, you always think of defense in right. depth, right? You think of this layered approach of security. I've got my proxies, I have my firewalls, I have all this stuff. That one little app in the back. All this stuff should take care of before it gets to the app. But like in the log4j or log4shell, as long as some piece of data went into the app as a log, mm-hmm. as a piece of string, it would get executed as it goes through the web app, through the backend, through the database, through the logging. What would happen is Apache's log for, you know, as part of Apache's log4j, it would actually end up executing that piece of string. Something that was supposed to do basic logging became now an execution of that app at the bright privileges. And it was beaconing home in some cases. And no one ever thought to you know, have that type of depth that would go from just a piece of text that someone put in it somewhere. As long as it gets logged, it, gets ex- it got executed. And we always, in the network, I'm sure the network security team said, oh, we have all this defense in depth. The CISO said, hey, we have all this defense in depth. But in that case, it didn't matter. Patrick, did I say that correctly? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. And, and to, to Rachel's point uh, as well, I mean, there's, there's so many branches and evolution of code that it's, it's one galactic mosh pit of libraries and functions and code, right? I mean, I'm just making silly statements here, but it gives a visual. Um, and, and what I'm trying to bring to light there is how do you get a team or an individual that's so focused on delivering some functionality to be aware of every possible situation in the full history of every piece of code that they might be involved in their project. It's, 
that's that's the challenge. That's the complication. Um, and and so it is. It requires a tremendous amount of diligence combined with tools and collaboration on teams' parts to be able to contain that, even along with, as you say, Petco, defense and depth measures that are in place. Um, and you know, we can we can touch on a, on a few of those. So it, it's a non it's absolutely a nonstop effort, and I think it's another example of I think there's many cases of this in security. Unfortunately. The maturation um, path frequently has a bad situation or a situation that looks awful with all of the issues, threats, vulnerabilities you might have in a system. And then the, the combination of those methods I mentioned before start to improve that over time. And unfortunately, you don't get it exposed. But, you know, I think this is a situation where the industry recognized um, as well as SolarWinds, as well as Stuxnet, that, okay, look, there's there's a whole other facet that we didn't realize, and we need to apply some combination of tooling and best practices to be better and improve our situation. And I think for application security, that, that's, that's the constant game um, in AppSec. So, so for application security, what are the common practices or measures you might see an organization take that is worried about, you know, security? Their applications. Yeah, so the, the the two I think most common that would come to mind, and, and maybe maybe it depends where you're coming from right now, but certainly um, DAST or dynamic application security testing, <clears throat> and that's the one. It's the oldest. It's what pen testers would use to interact with the applications, just as an attacker would. So we absolutely need that kind of testing methodology, and you know I I, I would kind of tongue-in-cheek say it's where you start and finish actually you know um because it's it's your first step to getting your testing done it's the easiest way and then when you go through the coding and secure design and you it gets deployed it's the last testing that you want to continuously still have on that application so so that's that's uh, a very important methodology but as i mentioned a, couple, a few times and we all agree you know, the expectation on deploying functionality, deploying these applications to support business, it just continues to accelerate. The scale of it continues to grow. So the only way that, that application security teams can accomplish the mission of having secure application attack surfaces or removing that attack surface is having a full partner in, in the development organization. So to do that, you got to get earlier and earlier. Um, and while DAST is embedded, can be embedded right into the CI/CD pipelines now, which is fantastic. Um, if you can get ahead of a lot of the low-hanging fruit with with static analysis security testing, so that the developers can root out uh, possible or expected vulnerabilities, much better situation. So, to me, those are the common two. Um, I won't delve too much into software composition analysis uh, for, for for the distros and exposing those vulnerabilities because that's a whole other facet. Um, but a couple others, you know, if you can get DAST going and you can get SAS going and you want to take another step in maturity, then it really is about uh, secure architecture design. So applying, get ha- introducing a phase where you are applying secure coding practices or measures, 
How am I dealing with sensitive data? Am I applying encryption where I need to? What authentication mechanisms are there? Um, so that you're starting out with a mindset and perhaps teaching your, uh, your developers before they even get started what has to happen and what needs to be avoided. So that, that's about as early as you can get. That's the essence in my mind of secure by design if you can get to that phase. Um, and then there's another methodology that I'd mentioned as well as interactive application security testing. So this idea of, all right, DAST is good. We want to test in runtime so we can see actually how, how the application is behaving, how attackers would interact and try to exploit. Um, but as we're doing that testing, we're always in a better, more mature state. The more we can help developers remedi- understand and remediate faster. So interactive application security testing, um, for those of your audience that might not be familiar with it, is about instrumenting the code so that as you find vulnerabilities in a runtime test in a compiled application, we can point to the, where in the code that vulnerability exists. So it, it, it really simplifies the process for a developer because um, developers, they don't want to have to do any research. They don't want to have to chase false positives and lose trust in the system. They don't want to have to lose how much time for every instance of a vulnerability trying to find it in which piece of code. Um, so that's where IS can, can also be an advantage. Patrick, can we break, break this down a little between SAS? You said SAST and DAST. What, what's the difference? I mean, for our audience, I heard SAS in terms of SAS apps. So uh, <laughs> yeah. not, not, not static, but I, I think it would be helpful for them to understand the difference between the two because I think it's, it's key. Yeah. yeah How it's... do you define the difference between the two of them? Yeah, great, um, it, great call out, Echo, for to take a bit of time to be clear about the two of them. Um, so maybe I could start with a loose, loose analogy here, and then explain both of them, and then and then maybe my lack of articulation of an acronym <laughs> won't, be, <laughs> won't be a problem anymore. Um, so let, let's look at cars, car manufacturing for a second, okay. When an engine gets built, at some point, whether it's before the assembly line or before these engine as a module gets moved to the assembly line, somebody runs the engine to make sure that the engine component can work. And think of that, okay, the inner guts of the car is exposed, right? Think of that as SAS testing. You can see line of code activity, right? So the bare components of that future application you are working with. Now, if we're buying a car, we actually want that car to be test driven so that we know it works. So we've got to have that engine put in a car and connected and working with the transmission, brakes, steering, um, all the other sensors of the car so that we know it's operating properly, safely. That's DAS testing, right? So we've got a test driver taking it for a car and seeing how it actually works, seeing that the, the suspension, um, is is taken through rough terrain properly, the brakes are working, the seatbelt's actually going to engage if it's a hard, all that kind of stuff. That's, that's pen testing or that's DAS, dynamic application security testing. So, so, so what's interactive application security testing then, if I take that to a step I, further? Is that a form of You're catching me there because I don't have an analogy built out for IS. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 um, 
It, it, it might be it, we Patrick. put sensors. Let me let me play with this for a second because it's a great question. So <laughs> okay. maybe it'll help the audience. Okay. But don't hold me accountable if it doesn't work. Um, so imagine we put monitors and sensors on the engine. Yep. So that we could see the piston speed rates performance that are happening. And then we could see the signals that are going from the transmission to the engine of the wheels or gears, all of the connected parts. It shows us the inner working so that let's say we press on the accelerator and the engine doesn't engage. There's a sensor somewhere that tells us this part didn't get the signal. Okay. So it's giving us a bit of a look at the inner workings of the car so that when we want to go troubleshoot, we know exactly where to look and where to fix the problem. That's what IS provides for developers. So it's so you've got your test driver, and now we've got either another person running a, a test module, reading these sensors, that's coming back after that test drive with more information so that the engineers know exactly where to go to fix and trouble, uh, the problem. I, actually, the analogy works good. out. My, my mind went a different route. I, I was thinking, okay, dynamic is me testing the, the car, making sure it works. Interactive is when I've got some kids behind me jumping around while I'm trying to drive the car, and I, it, I find out there's new things I didn't know about it. <laughs> so it's not predictable as much, but right, I guess right. dynamic does do that. You know, it's it's an interesting space because in the in the, in the static code analysis, I think a lot of organizations do this. They they scan their developer, they have their developer scan their code as they're coding, or they scan it in repositories, and they find out. A lot of times, just pattern matching on known vulnerabilities, and it becomes noise after a while because it doesn't tell you if it's executed. It just tells right. you it's there. It could right. be dormant; that's not even active, but it's in your, you know. While dynamic is is the actual code that's running and executing, and you can see if there's a vulnerability. So it's it's more realistic to pen testers, you know, or more realistic to the environment if we are worried about attackers. Because I've had experiences where with the static side, I'll have a thousand vulnerabilities and I'm like, where do I have my team start? Where it do doesn't start? matter because they're not going to start if I yeah. give a thousand. It's such a simple but common big question. Where, where do you start with? Um, actually, the immediate response there is, is severity classification of the vulnerabilities, right? where it's critical and high. And typically, a lot of these organizations, they'll only be focusing on the criticals and then the highs and the mediums never get almost never get touched and the, the lows never never and, looked at because there's just too how, many and how many of those organizations take the cves they're quick on high and then adjust them based on the environment most don't either right so after all, I, I feel like everything becomes critical everything gets renumbered down it's one or the other yeah being able to to customize the, the your prioritization um of of what to address based on what you might know is coming from a business critical application um, or, or some something, you know, you know, a basic marketing site. But we've also learned, we've also learned, and back to our, you know, our opening where we talk about initial break-in um, exploited attack vectors. There, there have been instances where uh, some vulnerability um, enables an attacker to start communicating with with backend servers through some simple site that wasn't wasn't business critical. And that's all they're looking for um, is is that that initial break in point, and then use other methodologies to to um, expand the reach within. So, Patrick, let's see if they get in right. Sometimes 
the, the app just crashes, takes down the business. Other times they might find a way, okay, I crashed the app. Well, let me see what else I can make the app do. Maybe I can get some data out of it, or maybe I can have it give, give me credentials. Yeah. And that data credentials or even taking down the business denial of service could be a form of, you know, this, this issue gets repurposed for another attack, right? Absolutely. That's yeah. So, yeah. you know, typically, um, and this is where other aspects of security, um, um, network, design server deployment comes into play you know if you can have measures that can restrict even if there's a vulnerability in an app if you have your right measures then that app that shouldn't have access to a database or secure server won't in some case it does and 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 that's where a lot of these these incidents become breaches because they're able to exploit a vulnerability in a web application the credentials that you mentioned or tap into a database and next step is is um, deploying malware to invoke a ransomware attack right or extracting the data itself um, so so that break-in component is is so critical but it but even though it might just be one aspect of the full attack chain Patrick are we looking at security wrong <laughs> and what I mean by that is it feels like we always focus on the impact and then we say, oh, look at this one incident, this one user, this one piece got this piece, but they're not looking at the, you know, the full attack chain. You know, when they, you know, think before, what happened before that? Well, before that, I enumerate all your employees on LinkedIn. Before that, I scan all your infrastructure and IPs, your attack surface, and I found the weak ones. And then I use your employees' names to go after you, <laughs> you know, it, I, I've, I guess where I'm getting at is that sometimes I think like we focus on the, the ransomware that happened or that one employee that clicked an email, but they're not focusing on all, all the stuff that the pen test dynamic scanning that happened before that, which isn't just the web app. It's all over a lot of things. That is, um, how can I say this? That's a massive loaded question. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm not trying to be flippant there. No, I mean, no. it really is. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, my, my initial thought is, the IT landscape is so complex right. and evolving faster than it ever has been. And I am not saying anything new or enlightening there, but it is. There's more f functionality being pushed. Um, there's more um, hybrid environments to deal with than ever before. So my view of security has always been every facet of the IT landscape you have, you need a commensurate IT security component to cover that. If you really want to fully secure situation, but that's not feasible. It's not realistic. So, and we just know that from, from reality other than very select businesses, agencies, and that's why we have air gap systems, right? Because you just cannot contain and control. So, so where do you, where can you mature your practices? Where can you in, implement a combination of training, tooling, and, and maturation of those factors so that you're constantly improving. Um, I think your, your question leads to potentially, okay, how can you get to as close as possible 100% secure state, but we can't get there. So what's the better path to take? 
And, and I think just looking at application security as a microcosm and, and sort of the maturation I quickly alluded to by going through the different methodologies that can be employed, start with DAST. You definitely want uh, SAS static analysis security testing as well. But if you can get into, you know, secure by design, considering secure architecture of your software first um, so that you know, the buildup of that application starts in a much better state then you have less issues to deal with down the road and your team starts to learn and become smarter. You're always, go ahead, Pico. No, I was gonna say, that's what I was kind of getting at is like, why don't we, are we overlooking application security was my thinking, you know, okay. are we focused on the endpoint and this, all the stuff out here and saying, hey, let's forget about that app, just get out the code as quickly as possible I keep thinking back to like the Capital One breach and other things we've kind of seen where it was a f multiple different elements there. But it's and no matter how much, how big you are, you know, you're spending money on security. There's always something you have to worry about. I guess my question is, if you're a CISO, do you secure your apps first or do you secure your people or and endpoints that they're running on? Like if you had to pick one, do you which do you do yeah. first? I mean, I guess. My, my gut feel is you go to the one that's got the most noise, you know, in term. Yeah, that's, um, that's a really interesting question. Um, if you have an episode dedicated to that one and some experts coming on, I definitely want to hear that episode. <laughs> um, you know, if you, it is really difficult to, it, I mean, it's a non-start. You're not going to control all human behavior. Right. So, but do you have a chance to contain if not perfect, the security state of all your uh, web assets, right, that are exposed externally, for example, I think you have a better chance of having layers of coverage for that uh, from your, your, the processes that you can build up in your software development pipeline combined with um, your firewall, web app firewall uh, protections that you can have in front. So given the scope and given this push for functionality, it, it hasn't changed. I, I think my first experience in application security was over 15 years ago. And the dynamics really haven't changed of everybody, air quotes, everybody wants the app and the functionality of first security comes second. We've had a decade and a half to improve our thinking. Like we're, we're getting close to a generation here. Has it changed or gotten worse? I'd argue it's gotten worse because it's functional response first all the time. Have we improved along with it though? Absolutely. Absolutely. But initially it was, Hey, we've got this idea here that we can test an application for security flaws before it gets deployed. Let's do scan it once and deploy it. That was first gen. And that was a good thing. And then we started to realize, okay, well maybe we need to scan it a little more often. How about a compliance audit once a year? makes sense. And oh, by the way, we're relying on development. And those early years was really interesting for developers to even care about it in the first place. But okay, so SaaS starts to come along in its early state. So you start to see some improvement. Let's call this sort of a second gen. Well, now we're at a situation where we have these fantastic integrations, these multiple phases, and a much better awareness to try to tackle these problems early in the process because there, I think there's enough awareness now to know that if development doesn't get in, involved, 
there's there's impact to all of their their key success um, key results that they need on sprint by sprint quarter by quarter basis impacts the businesses very directly. So Dev has to partner with security and vice versa to to get this done. We're at a much better state for that, but but we're also at a state where we realize we need to move to continuous automated scanning because there's so much functionality that's being pushed out, so many applications that are being deployed for functionality first and more dynamic uh, um, or higher frequency of edit, uh, fixes um, going out that we need another, uh, the next generation of application security testing where you've got, you're moving more to continuous scanning weekly basis of those same, same apps, especially with, the dependency on third-party code and why is that dependency high because we, we're grabbing we're, we're going to the the essentially the store the app store grabbing chunks of code that are already built and throwing them in and not even caring where that's coming from the advanced organizations will have secure code libraries to leverage that they can trust but they're on the leading edge and even they have a very regimented well-invested program and they're still doing everything they can to catch up. So are we in a better state? In some ways you could say yes. Have we improved our mentality as a, as a broad industry? Um, no, because it's, it's still functionality first. And as long as that's the case, um, we need to continue to try to mature and expand and improve our processes. And as the pace picks up, that means we do need automation. We need scale and we need to move to this notion of, of continuous scanning. And, and we see some of those results actually from, from our report. Um, uh, there's some indications around, around those dynamics. And you guys just published a report, I think, was it an indicator report is what you called it? Or yeah. where can people find your report? It is actually going, um, uh, going live or just went live um, the week of RSA. Um, so we're starting to roll that out and that, that'll be up on our, on our website and uh, vicky.com they can find that awesome you know I, I i can't help but think you know going back to that CISO question which do you invest in first the endpoint or the application security side of it but i think we're seeing you mentioned it earlier you kind of alluded to it is there is a lot more regulation and compliance requirements around app security and dynamics scanning that should be done i, I know we've had folks on on the podcast here before that we're dealing with FedRAMP, for example, and FedRAMP requires mm -hmm. dynamic application security testing is part exactly. of it that you're doing monthly or weekly or whatever interval you need to do it at. I imagine there's other standards out there that if you have a product that you want to sell to a, a certain industry or if you have a product that you just want to make sure you're following best practices, that you're going to have to eventually do dynamic application security testing if you're not already. Yeah, that's that's exactly what we're seeing. And um I think generally speaking, you know, the past few years or, or maybe even five years prior, we saw this surge of SaaS adoption and software composition analysis, bill of materials, distribution package vulnerabilities, which absolutely needed to happen. And whether it was because of the pandemic dynamics, log for shell, uh, president's executive order, could be a confluence of those types of factors, we we're definitely seeing an increased um, priority around dynamic testing. And I think the point there is 
you know, and you, and you see some analyst reports where the focus um, is around SaaS and, and SEA as an example, because it's, it's more complex or it might be newer for some sort of organizations who already have some aspect of dynamic application security testing. So, so the mind share and the conversation shifts to that because there is more involved to get that embedded into the development process and it's the right thing to do. Um, so the attention needs to be there, but you know, as humans, there's only so many things that fit in our, in our buffer, um, our, our, our own brains uh, at one time. Um, so I think what's happened is there's a bit of a re-recognition that DAST is very critical. We're seeing some increasing adoption rates or scan rates to, to your point, Petco, and, you know, FedRAMP and continuing testing. Um, and we actually, you know, to that point in our report, we have seen a 50% increase in average scanning over the four years from, from our report. Um, and I think uh, if I have the stats right, um, I think we're 19% year over year um, just in the past year. And so the point there is we're seeing increased adoption of the scanning uh, approach um, because of, of these needs from either from a compliance perspective um, or just a recognition after, you know, the surge of, of remote behaviors in supply chains and remote work uh, that, that we're seeing that. And in fact, one of our industry perspectives coming out of the report, um, manufacturing stood out for us, bit of an outlier, um, where they, their average scanning rate per, per manufacturing customer is about three times the rest of the industries. And, you know, it's definitely something we're going to pay attention to and explore for further uh, reports. But our understanding there is we're seeing a subset of customers that are, have adopted, um, you know, CICD and automated scanning. So that surge is going up of, of scan rates, which, which makes sense, right? It fits, fits the, the conversation. They want to make sure they are, they are covered. Is that is that part of like I'm trying because I typically think of DAS, you know, if anyone that wants to do business in healthcare and government and financial sector, is like I have to do this in order to sell or in order to even work with them. Manufacturing is interesting. Like, are there other areas that are growing this this need? I guess I'm, I'm, how, how do we define manufacturing? Like, is it, I, I my mind automatically starts thinking IoT devices and things like that, that we've kind of heard about, but are there other forms of manufacturing that are in that group, in that category or the industry? Did you say, um, I just want to make sure I heard you right. Were you asking it, were there other industries or un- other forms of manufacturing? That- both. Yeah. Let's go both. You know, um, when in doubt, go both. <laughs> the answer is yes. Um, so man- first of all, manufacturing was an outlier for us as an industry. It's very interesting. We'll keep monitoring it. Um, but What's, what's exciting is we have the data, something's seen there, and we'll continue to monitor it. Um, the majority of the industries that we looked at have quite steady year over year. Uh, our report, by the way, just maybe I should just do a reset on the report because we haven't really done that. We've got into some interesting topics, but just a quick reset on the report. Um, we had 1.7 million scans included in this data set, 1,700 customers included in this data set. 
Um, and probably the biggest takeaway that we saw from it is scanning rates have increased 50% from 2019 to 2022. Um, that's average monthly scan rate per customer. That's what that one refers to. And we've also seen a decline in vulnerabilities, especially in, in the past year. So in some cases it's going up, but now it's gone down 2021 to 2022. So massive takeaway there. This is a first impression. Massive takeaway that as your scanning activity increases, your vulnerability right. rate decreases. First time we've seen that data. So, so the more you do this, the more you find vulnerabilities, the more repetitions your development teams and your overall application security practice gets to improve, and the more frequent you're scanning, the, the faster you're finding these vulnerabilities and your whole practice gets better. Yeah. So your security posture improves. So we are seeing scan more, find more, fix more, and improve your or reduce your, your risk um, as a result. That's probably our biggest takeaway from this report. Getting back into the industry portion underneath that, as I mentioned, manufacturing is an anomaly. But the majority of the industries... Um, consumer goods, education, energy and utilities, healthcare, what else we have, retail, technology, they all have quite consistent steady increases from 2019 to 2022 in their scan rates. Awesome to see that. We're seeing improvements. Um, there is a couple anomalies where media and entertainment and services industries are on steady declines. We don't have enough data to explain that decline, why there would be year over year over year decline in scanning activity. Um, but I bet you we'd see if the next breach we see of a major logo or brand in media or entertainment, things will change again, just as we saw, you know, in, in manufacturing, for example. Um, and then, as I mentioned, manufacturing. When you say fire. scan rates, when you say scan rates, I'm kind of curious, is that like, how does that, does that count per scan? Is a scanning number of code lines? Like, how is it quantified as a so, scan in that metric? So our tool is a DAS tool. So um, we have uh, IASI interactive application security testing capability as well. So this data set is based on DAS or dynamic application security testing. Um, so so this is a customer um, across enterprise and in. SMB or mid-market, um, the average amount of scan instances they're running on a, on a monthly basis. That's what our, that's what that uh, stat is based on. So I'm kind of thinking, if, so just to quantify a scan, if I scan a whole cloud infrastructure with billions of apps in it, does that count as one or does that count as a billion? That would, in that case, that would be a billion. It would be the apps that you're, you're actually um, scanning. So the targets, okay. think of so it in terms of the, the targets. targets. Got it. Yeah. We need to find the target. You usually typically do it by web URL or something. Got it. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. That's good. Good data. I mean, you mentioned such a great data points regarding it's growing. It, it is kind of interesting that the media industry is, you know, either they're outsourcing more or, you know, they're building more, you know, simplified apps, you know, or more focused apps. Where, where do you think we're going with this? I mean, given the growth rates, what do you predict the future of the application security, just holistic landscape is going to look like for us in the, in the industry? 
Uh, so <laughs> I'm processing that question because I went back. Rachel's laughing at me, and and rightly so, because I I went back to my first experience in application security and how I would have answered that question, and you know, projecting where where we were we we're going with it, and. Everybody has this idea of this this new innovation is going to fix things. And we touched earlier on, you know, just whether it's human nature, nature business, you know, there there's truisms perhaps that we are always going to be dealing with. Just like you will always have somebody who's, regardless of how earnest they are in, in protecting the company's interest, will will have an email and a link that's spoofing their CEO. And they're just not paying attention. They click the link. You know, we're go. We're always going to have this dynamic in in applications um, uh, or application security of functionality first. Yep. You know, it's 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 at its heart a capitalist yep. society, which is going to drive that functionality. We also have a cultural shift demanding. Um, like no discipline in, in demand anymore for immediate results, um, which I think spills into all the functionality that we get just on corporate, personal, social level um, with the with the technology we're interacting with. So on that basis alone, application security will continue to chase um, with increasing status and the maturity of the application security practices. I think, you know, 10 years ago, it was aspirational of where the security practices may get to. Well, we're at a point right now where a lot of co uh, companies have DAST and SAST and uh, perhaps other technologies deployed. Um, there's much greater collaboration between um, the app security team and the development team to a very significant extent. And we're moving to this continuous state. So I think there are some parallels between uh, technology automation um, and intelligence and where application security is going to have this happen at scale on a very um, robust and continuous pace. Will that ever ultimately you know, my rambling from before is I don't, to be honest, see that closing outright, right? Because there's something, some, what's going to hit us in three years, five years, seven years down the road, that's going to change the dynamic again. Um, and, and maybe I'm being way too optimistic with that long timeline. It could be sooner. But, but there's, things have gotten worse from a challenge and complexity perspective for application security, but at the same time, there's been so much progress yeah. on the maturation of the practices and the teams involved in contributing to it. Um, and there is a dependency there because these scanning engines have to continue to evolve to track with the technologies that they need to explore to identify the vulnerabilities or the weaknesses within. Um, so I don't, I don't see this slowing down. Um, so it's it's it might sound like a quite a non-definitive response to say it's getting worse and it's getting better, but I think there's there's some truth to both parts of that statement. I was reading your uh, last report because I always find it interesting when you look at the reports how they change, you know, from one report to another. And your fall report um, had an interesting comment in there: release or die. And 
Yeah. Uh, it it kind of shows you the pressure that developers yes. are under. Yes. And it also it shows you that we really got to automate more and do it quickly and effectively. Uh, I think we're, you know, you yes. mentioned earlier, you have to automate, automate, automate. It's, you know, it's kind of like developers, developers, developers. So we've got to just move faster. And I, I definitely, hopefully, we get there, you know, with more more automation and orchestration and everything else that we talk about in security. Yeah, yeah, very much agree. And one comment there to to let everybody know, our spring report is is our data, for lack of a better term, that's our data focus report. And our fall report is a survey-based report of our customer base. Yeah. So it brings two really different perspectives to the market on an annual basis. So looking forward to, to seeing what we might find out already in, in this fall's report. Yeah, that definitely be interesting. Rachel, I've been doing all the questions. I'm sorry. No, no. It's, what do you think? All I think about is, you know, when you hear apps, I just think about taking my TikTok away. Honestly, that's all I think about. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I saw there was a state that raised it. They were going to ban it in the state, and it's going to the state legislature. I mean, you know, I just uh, don't take my TikTok. What about your dog? What about a your whole dog other app? security <laughs> episode, right? <clears throat> yeah, that's. The ship has sailed, I feel like. I, you know, a lot of these things, the ship has sailed. Yeah, don't, don't, don't come uh, on. I'm more worried about your dog app. Oh, my furbo? I'm more worried about your yeah. dog app. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's, if it's secure or not. I have no idea. But I, I the fact of having a camera in my house that can actually not just be video, but actually can Audio. mechanically change yeah. things. Yeah. I mean, it, it can, next thing you know, it's going to flood your house with water because it's trying to feed the dog. <laughs> Hopefully not. not I don't get very many updates for that app. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so I don't know how much they're scanning that Furbo. Uh, I'm trying it's, to. It's secure. It's secure. <laughs> secure by design. That's right. That's uh, that's where they went. <laughs> yeah. No, it's you know where I struggle with these things, and it's I think it's the struggle right of every business. I, you, know, you talked about this before, Patrick. Is you know there's there's the business calculus, right? We got to get it out. We got to get it out. You know, and these. These developers, you know, they're they're already stretched pretty thin, and you know, you have a lot of teams that are kind of getting decimated, right? And so now you've got one guy doing the three jobs or or whatever it is, and it's kind of that prioritization of time, right? Much like the CISO, where do you prioritize your security investment and in time? And you know, these developers, it's kind of like, well, if if I'm measuring getting the app out, right? Uh, and that performance of said app, and either you know the number of users that we've signed up in amount of time, or revenue or whatever that is, it's, it's very difficult to say, let me slow the process down, um, you know, even by a day or two, right, to, to do the security. And it's almost, you know, is there a reinvention of how apps are developed? I mean, I think, you know, that ship has probably sailed too. But when you start talking about going to the beginning, like fundamentally, like that part's never going to change unless how we develop applications, right, um, fundamentally change. Yeah. And, you know, some of the best practices that can be adopted are probably being looked at for the mature organizations for the business critical apps, but they're not, they're not doing it for basic web interfaces, right. For, for marketing or info sites. And, you know, so who's, who's really paying attention to the security risk on, on a lot of those web assets. As an example, and and they might be, and I'm not like I'm not calling out organization. It's just a reality of the situation. We prioritize where where the um, 
the value might be right. from perceived from a from an attacker's point of view, and you prioritize accordingly, yep. um, like we would with with the vulnerabilities. But when there's so much going on, you, you're not getting to your your ideal state of of security because by the time you've made the decision, there's already a backlog of of fixes yes, and other apps exactly. um, or functionality being demanded, as you point out. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. I mean, it's I, I love talking about these these things that seemingly have really no resolve. <laughs> it'll get better, it'll get worse, and you know, we just hope incrementally, you know, we, we kind of start chipping away at it a little more, a little more every five years, whatever that yeah, is. And, and I, yeah, and that's where I was just being brutally honest and responding to Petco's question, where you know, where are we going with this? Well, it's probably going to be a combination of continuing to get worse and get better at the same time, right. depending on which lens you want to use to, to look at the situation. Um, but, you know, I, I credit, I credit to the, the industry overall because the, the vulnerability rates have gone down, which is great, even through, through evolution, which, which we're seeing, which is fantastic, at least across our customer base. Um, even though, that IT landscape is changing and evolving at a, and getting more complex than it's ever been. Right. So, you know, maybe that we can just settle with, yes, it's getting better. And, and we've got some good tools to work with to continue that. I'll take that. I think it's a good answer. <laughs> progress. It's progress. We won't take your TikTok away. At least I won't. <laughs> Thank you, Petco. You know, Rachel, I think it's all our priorities, right? And each of us have different priorities. Yeah. That is true. That is true. I, I, whoever may do, I mean, it's genius, the algorithm. I just have to give it. I, I, I never thought I would spend so much time on something. It's it just, it's horrible. The, the number of like animal videos, I just like mini goats, mini cows. Who knew? Who knew? It, like these things existed. So I just. Oh, you're um, getting served up the baby goats? Oh, yeah. Capybaras. <laughs> You know, that's been kind of in heavy rotation the last few weeks. I just, I didn't even know about capybaras, but now I know everything. You know, I feel smarter in some ways, but, but also many, many hours. (laughs) (laughs) Smarter in in air quotes, I should say. Oh, okay. I could talk about that all day. Well, I do want to be mindful of time, Patrick. Thank you so much. This has been such a wonderful uh, discussion and and I love that we we really broke it down in, in in bit by bit right because we have a lot of our audience who's you know not not as deep in this in this conversation and it's really important to start educating and you know kind of understanding the landscape and and what's out there what's available and what still maybe we need to advance on so thank you for for right. taking the time to break that down Patrick it's it's been very helpful uh, thank you for having me on it's been a lot of fun we had some laughs with it too it's great. Um, yeah, ho- I, hopefully we brought some insights to, to, to your audience. Um, thank you so much for, for letting uh, me be a part of it. Definitely. And I'd love to include a, a link to your, uh, your indicator report, uh, in our, in our show notes. Um, you know, it, as soon as it's published, I think we'll go live in a few weeks. So it should be published by the time this goes live. So, um, yeah, exactly. I would love to do that. I know folks would love to read, read that report. So for all of our listeners out there, thank you so much for joining us again this week. And thanks to Petco for all the questions. I love it. I love when Petco asks questions. And until next time, you guys, just be safe. Bye. And be secure. Be secure.
Thanks for joining us for the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher.